people think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen Furst. Well, today I'm very honored because we have a special guest, um, Maurice Taylor, and I'm very proud that he's on our show. He's a veteran of the U.S. Marine Corps, and he served for three years, and he was honorably discharged and learned that he had kidney failure and that he was going to have to, you know, endure a lot of the things that the people listening. And so um, I'm really excited. Uh, Please welcome to the show, Maurice Taylor. Uh, Maurice, um, tell us a little bit about how you learned you had kidney disease. Well, actually, what happened, it it, it really happened just all of a sudden for me. And um, what I was informed by my previous doctor um, through, through the VA is um, it, 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 it occurred um, because of uncontrollable high blood pressure. Now, did you have high blood pressure when you were serving in the military? No, I was extremely healthy. Well, I can imagine that was probably pretty stressful. <laughs> yeah. Where did you serve in the military at? Uh, in uh, Camp Pendleton, California. Oh, okay. Okay. You Were you ever deployed? Uh, yes, I was. Uh, I spent six months in Okinawa, Japan. Well, so you never knew you had any kind of kidney problems when you were in the military. So you went to the doctor one day and found out you had high blood pressure and your kidneys were pretty much on the end of their life? No, actually what it was is that I was, uh, my blood pressure was like uh, 140 over 9. And at that time, there wasn't any symptoms, uh, diagnosis uh, that the doctor informed me that um, my kidneys, I had any trouble with it. Everything was healthy. It, It was just a surprise. Um, that the high blood pressure had uh, occurred. And did you have to take blood pressure medicine? Yes, I was on uh, blood pressure medicines at the time, and I was only taking one particular type of medicine at, at that time. Well, you know, what's interesting is um, my kidney failure was caused from E. coli bacteria, which ultimately caused my kidneys to be damaged, which caused me to have extremely high blood pressure. And what a lot of people don't realize, and you can probably, you know, say that you don't have any symptoms when you have high blood pressure. Uh, the only thing I felt sometimes is maybe my eyes felt a little um, uncomfortable or, uh, you know, if it was really high, I would get a headache. But other than that, I mean, it's kind of a silent disease, and, and that's why so many people don't realize they have high blood pressure. And then when they're prescribed medicines, they don't really understand, you know, they don't feel any difference, and sometimes the medications can make you feel worse. So I think it's a really important message that, you know, you got to take care of your blood pressure. Exactly. And how long did you have high blood pressure before, um, you know, because you ended up, your kidneys ended up failing and you needed dialysis, but how long um, between that gap? I would say... Um probably about two to three years after I found out I was diagnosed with high blood pressure. So you started dialysis at the VA, and so did you go to in-center three times a week? Yes, I did, and I didn't start um, with it at the VA um, because they were only able to accommodate um, so many patients. 
So I had to do my treatment outside of the VA. So tell me about your journey about the transplant and what you learned um, along the way. Uh, well, like I said, my journey before before I was very healthy, except finding out I had high blood pressure and then it became extremely high and un- uncontrollable. The doctor started to in, in, increase more medicines to bring it under control. Um, but it was just all of a sudden just happened to me without feeling ill or sick or anything. But um, I was working out at the gym um, regularly. One day I went to the gym and I started feeling really sick and um, I couldn't uh, lift as much weight. And I, I started to feel nauseous and started to vomit. And it was blood that was coming oh out. Yes. And I, I, I just didn't know what was going on. And uh, so it really just shocked me. That would be pretty scary. I mean, and, and were you alone in this? Did you have any family around you? Yes, I had my family there with me. At, at the time, I was living with my sister and her children. And um, I remember calling my sister um, while I was at the gym, and I asked her to take me to the doctor because something was happening to me, and I was explaining to her what was occurring and that I needed to go to the doctor to find out what was going on. So she, she took me to the VA hospital, and um, tests were being ran, and, um, and, 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 and they still wasn't able to find out what exactly was wrong at that time. And I had also started urinating constantly. I started to have metallic smell. Uh, felt like the nerves in my, my body started to burn and sting. I was just really become you know, almost like immobilized. I also ended up having kidney stones. Um, just a lot of things that start occurring within a, uh, within a month. I mean, just one thing after the next, and I was being hospitalized a lot. And it, it took about, about a month for the doctors to be able to find out. Mr. Taylor, they came to me and said, Mr. Taylor, your creatinine is high. We believe it's your kidney. And um, that was a shock to me because I've never heard anything that was anything serious that was wrong with me. So from that point on, when did you, how long did it take for you have to start dialysis? I imagine with those symptoms, it was pretty soon. But I was uh, informed uh, by one of the nurses within the, the renal clinic is that I will be going on dialysis. And it was a year later that I went on dialysis. Did you have a catheter put in and um, to receive dialysis, or did they put a? Do you know if they put a fistula or a graft? They put. It was a graft that was placed in first. Okay. So you know, I think what's really interesting about your uh, story and what you can share with the audience is that your quest for a transplant. So can you tell us a little bit about when you decided you wanted to get a transplant? Um, I, I went through a lot of different, I would say changes, but um, there were a lot of uh, things that were required to be the best candidate for it. So I think one of the things that's very interesting is that, you know, how you got a transplant and you had some other health conditions that were kind of a barrier for you getting that transplant. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, because I'm HIV positive. That was another barrier for me. Because here in uh, California, the, the, particularly Los Angeles, the VA does not provide transplant for um, HIV patients. And one of the reasons I vaguely recall is that because the immune system and it's already suppressed because so many things are going on as far as with the disease being able to duplicate itself, um, they 
those type of patients were are very sensitive as far as with a transplant. I can imagine that. That would be difficult because basically, um, you know, HIV is immunodeficiency disease. And when you get a transplant, you got to take immunosuppressant medication. So it may make it flare up. That's what, how I would think about it. That's, that's the other concern there. So you were on dialysis for eight years and you got a call for a transplant. But what I think is unique about this is it wasn't in L.A. Right, correct. But Iowa was one of the VA facilities there in Iowa City. That VA uh, facility um, specialized with HIV and renal uh, failure patients. And um, it, it was just, uh, a, a, it was really a blessing. It was hope for me because I didn't think there was any hope of me getting a kidney, but that was, and it was a joy to hear that there was a remedy for me, that there was something there that will um, uh, bring a, a kidney for me. To right. provide that. So did you have to move to Iowa City, or did they call you and then you had to fly there? No, they. I didn't have to move there. Um, I only had to stay there temporarily after the transplant in order to fully recover, and the VA there were able to um, watch over my care to make sure that there wasn't any failures or any type of illnesses that would occur because that would possibly happen, uh, which... Um, it did. I did end up having uh, E. coli. The day of that my mother and I, we were leaving, it, uh, that illness had um, occurred. So it extended my stay for maybe another couple of weeks. So I believe we were there a total of maybe about a month, my mother and I. And my mother, she was my, um, my support system. Um, and she resides in Detroit. So the, how the VA had done it is first they... Uh, we went to, to, to see the transplant team, my mother and I. They flew me from, from Los Angeles to Iowa. They flew my mother from Detroit to Iowa. We were able to meet with one another. We went in. We saw all the doctors who were and, and everyone who was part of their transplant team. I know it's pretty crazy, huh, when you get the call and, you know, they basically say, you know, you can't eat anything because you're going to get transplanted. And, you know, I don't know about you, but when there's some stress in my life, I want to eat. And uh, so you jump on the plane and, you know, the transplant happens within, you know, sometimes within six hours. But in your case, it happened within the next day. That's amazing. Yes, yes. Um, I, believe I, I believe I arrived at the hospital uh, somewhere in the evening, three or four, because we left here uh, at Burbank uh, uh, somewhere, I believe, nine and ten o'clock that afternoon. Um, but... Um, I was told it was going to happen in the morning, around 8 o'clock in the morning. So it was somewhere between 8 and 9 in the morning. So it was less than maybe 12 hours before I was, um, that I was being prepped for the surgery. Now, do you know anything about your deceased donor? Yes, I do. And that was such an amazing thing um, because I was informed uh, from one of the transplant nurses uh, that um, usually the patient and, 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 and the receiver and the donor have uh, no contact with one another, but my donor, uh, she contacted me, and, and, and it really brought um, a lot of relief and uh, explained a lot of things um, that was happening post-transplant. Was this the donor's family? Yes. It actually was the donor's son. In the letter, she states that her son was born with asthma. She didn't say, say how he died, but I will believe it 
it was due to him um, being born with asthma. Uh, he died at an early age. He actually died um, uh, in October. He was about uh, nine or going on ten. Wow, that's so tragic. So, so sad to have to think that when you're waiting for an organ, unfortunately, it's because somebody passes away. And I always try to remind people that couldn't do anything about, you know, they were going to pass away anyways. And so you get the organ, which is, you know, helps save your life. But it's such it's such a sad, you know, way to have to go about health care, isn't it? Yes, it, it is. It is. So did you have a chance to meet with your donor family? No, I have not. Uh, okay. What I did, I did. I sent the letter, uh, responded back to her letter. And I, what I, I, I was very thoughtful and considerate of, um, the bereavement that she and her family um, were experiencing. And so I just was very careful writing it, and I kept proofreading, proofreading, and making sure that I'm, I'm sensitive to her need, um, but I am also want her to know how grateful I am. Um, but I feel for, you know, I really felt for her loss and that my prayers were there for her, that everything would just really be peace and comforting to, to, to her and to her family. And, uh, but I, I, I just thought I had wrote it out simple and as best way that I possibly uh, could to not offend her or family in any way. Well, you know, it's so difficult because what do you say to a family who's lost a loved one and they save your life? I guess, you know, the really the only thing you can say is thank you. I'm so grateful uh, because, you know, it changes your life. Well, tell us a little bit about what you're doing now and how long have you had your transplant and is everything working well for you? Oh, everything is going excellent for me. My lab results, I regularly see the nurse coordinator who uh, watches my care. And um, I, I, I do everything that is required. I take my meds uh, as, as prescribed, as scheduled. Uh, my labs are excellent. Um, um, it, 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 it's just everything has been going, working out for me. My, I'm healthier. I'm, I'm back working out at the gym. Um, I'm, I'm back in school. Uh, uh, it's really changed my life. I'm, I'm, I'm eating. Uh, my appetite has changed. I'm, I'm able to eat more things that I <laughs> wasn't able to do before. Um, no longer on a restricted fluid. Uh, diet. <laughs> I know. After eight years of being on dialysis, people who have been on dialysis understand that diet, and it is a one heck of a diet to uh, stay on, especially when you're limited to fluid and some of the other sodium and phosphorus and potassium. So how long have you had your transplant? My transplant happened uh, actually this month on the 16th of last year. So you'll be celebrating one year for your transplant. That's wonderful. And you're going to school and you want to be a social worker. So uh, tell us how you chose that career path. Well, um, because I'm of Christian faith and I believe God works and in, in, in gives us gifts, um, I just come to realize that my gift involves help. And um, and that's how I've used um, the HIV, and I've also used the, the kidney failure as a ministry myself to be able to help others. That's wonderful. So to close uh, the interview up, what would you tell other people who are on dialysis seeking a transplant, or veterans especially? Uh, 
one for those veterans, uh, I would uh, suggest that they would see their um, nephrologist and, and continue to receive their renal care. For those who are out there um, or on dialysis, I uh, want to inform them that there is hope. I really thank you for sharing your story. And, you know, you have such an incredible uh, story to share to really encourage people, no matter what the situation is, if they're HIV positive, if, if they're in a situation where their health insurance may not provide the treatment they want, that you have to be your own advocate. And I think that that is just what people listening need to understand. And, you know, it's so wonderful. Here you are, uh, you know, have complications and went to Iowa, got a transplant. And, you know, you're going to just take the world by storm. Oh, yeah. Thank you. We can control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our health care team. We can take steps towards self-improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference. 